The reading is from Isaiah 11, verses 1 to 9. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy, with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Thank you to the choir, to Andrew and the musicians. Let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. Father, in these moments, we want to hear from you. There are many who clamor for our attention. So many means whereby in these modern days we can receive information. So many news outlets, so many people speaking. But Lord, we need to still our hearts and hear your voice. For you have the words of eternal life. May we listen to you, learn of you, and live for you. To your glory we ask. Amen. I'm sure a number of you here will have heard of Gordon MacDonald. He uh, was a, or is a, uh, well-published author in particular in the 80s and 90s. His, his books are very popular, and I'm sure some of you will have them on your shelves, books like Ordering Your Private World. During the worst days of the most difficult days of President Clinton's administration, during his impeachment trial, Gordon MacDonald had opportunity to be the spiritual advisor to the president. All kinds of scandals surrounded him because of his moral failure. And on one occasion, uh, he met with him maybe every two or three weeks. MacDonald was flying to Washington to meet with the president, and he thought he would use his time on the flight to write a speech that the president you know, would maybe notionally use to express his repentance and to apologize for his actions. MacDonald tells a story. And when I got there, we sat down together in the Oval Office. I said to him, I, I wrote a speech for you on the way down in the plane. He said, oh, what did you say? I said, well, 
I probably ought to wait because I think it would make you mad. He said, I promise not to get mad. Read it to me. So I read this speech as if I was Bill Clinton. And when I got through, he said, could I have it? I said, no, it it needs to be edited, spiffed up. It's just a scrawl on the legal pad. Well, can you have it on my desk by 8 o'clock tomorrow morning? Yes, I can do that, I said. So I went home that afternoon and worked on it until the evening. Next morning, about 6.30, the president's secretary rang on the phone. The president wants to know where his speech is. So MacDonald faxed in the speech. He turned on the TV later that day to hear the president's words of repentance. But what he heard was not what he had originally written. Again, MacDonald finishes the story. It had been edited. It had been edited by his political advisors, his congressional advisors, his lawyers, and little by little, They had laundered the whole speech and reduced it to nothing. And it made me realize how captive men and women in high leadership are because they can't make a choice or a decision in their lives without somebody from the outside interfering and demanding that they exercise their responsibility. Everything has got to be managed. Who are your advisors? To whom would you go when you wanted advice, guidance, counsel? I suppose before you can answer that question, I have to be a bit more specific. I need to maybe suggest a scenario to you. So, for example, some of you of at least my generation, maybe older, you know, you have a bit of a problem with your mobile phone. So who do you go to? Well, you, you go to your children. You go to your grandchildren. They sort out those things for you because it's a wee bit beyond you. Or or maybe you you start to feel a bit unwell and you have a strange set of symptoms. And you know you'll not get a doctor's appointment for at least three or four weeks. So who do you go? Well, you go to Google. And you type in your symptoms and you scare the wits out of yourself. Or maybe some of you need advice on your driving. No, you don't, because there's somebody there to keep you, right? Plenty of other passengers to make sure you don't do things wrong. But we all do need advice in our lives. We all need guidance. We need counsel for much of what we encounter every day. And where is it to be found? Well, the prophecy of Isaiah opens with very gloomy news. It has a very negative theme. God's people are in a terrible mess. And we then see how the prophet Isaiah himself is called and commissioned by God to go and bear the message of God's word to this unreceptive people. They will always hear, but they will not understand. They will always see, but they will not perceive. They're just not going to get it all the best, Isaiah. And in the midst of all these opening first ten chapters, uh, if you read through carefully, you'll you'll find a number of times there's lots of trees being cut down. Indeed, the end of chapter 10 talks about trees being lopped down, hewn down, brought low. Lots of tree felling. But there is hope. 
There is hope from the stump of of Jesse, we read in, in chapter 11. A branch will burst out. It will shoot out. This fruitful branch, 300 years after David the king uh, had reigned and, and 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah told the people that what they needed most would be given to them. A savior was to be expected. One who would come as a baby. It's a thing we've been thinking about in our evening sermon series in First Samuel. The hope of the world is found in a baby's cry. A baby would be born from this Davidic line. And as I said to the, the boys and girls, there's 225 different names or titles given to Jesus throughout the Bible. And that would make a lovely sermon series for about two or three years. Uh, and we'll not do that. But uh, over the next number of Sundays, we're going to look at a shorter service from this key verse that was our call to worship this morning. Isaiah 9 verse 6. For the prophet declares to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Four titles, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Some translations, maybe a little bit influenced by uh, Handel's Messiah, make it five. They say he's wonderful, he's counselor, but most people really agree now that that's part of the same title. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Now that word wonderful in in Hebrew is palah, and it speaks of something that's beyond the realm of our experience, something beyond human explanation, separated from what you might normally expect or anticipate, something extraordinary. So we see the word palah used in, in Psalm 139, where the psalmist says, such knowledge is too wonderful, too palah for me. It is high, I cannot Attain it. Psalm 139 verse 6. Something that's miraculous. Indeed, it it literally says in the Hebrew that he's a wonder of a counselor. The one who Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 1.30 that he became to us wisdom from God. Righteousness and sanctification and redemption. All of this is fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus has a wisdom and an understanding that's far beyond anything you might experience among humanity. So you remember, Jesus as a child, age 12, uh, gets separated from his parents. Eventually they find him and he's, he's astonishing, astounding the, the Jewish rabbis with his wisdom. We read Luke 2, 46 to 47, Joseph and Mary find him. And then after three days, they find him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Once Jesus began his ministry, the crowds flocked to listen to him. They were amazed at his ability, even in his own town, among those with whom he had grown up. They, they, they just couldn't get their heads around how this man could understand and interpret the scriptures. So in Matthew 13, verse 54, we read, Coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, 
Where did this man get this wisdom? Later, the Apostle Paul would write to the Colossians, Colossians 2, verse 3, of Jesus and say that in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All wisdom, all knowledge is located in Christ. So when we think of Jesus being the wonderful counselor, we're not just thinking of someone who's extremely good at his job. Someone who is very well trained and well practiced. Someone who really could give helpful guidance to our lives. This is someone of a completely different ilk, a different way, a different measure. Just think of, of some of the ways in which Jesus is superior to earthly counselors. Counselors, you'll understand, always begin by asking questions. It's part of their skill to to know how to probe in the right places. Uh, And their purpose is to get the counselee to open up so that they will explain their their, their life situation. And and then the the counsellor can help. But they need to ask questions to get information first. But Jesus, the Son of God, coming to us as our greatest gift, he needs no introduction to your need. He knows you wholly, completely, and utterly. He knows all your strengths, all your talents, all your gifts. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your shame, your sin. He knows your history, all your past. He knows your future, all the days that are yet to be. He knows everything about you. So this wonderful counselor can truly discern your needs. He doesn't need to ask you questions as you come to him. But not only does this wonderful counselor know all the questions, he also has all the answers. On occasion, I find myself in that role of counselor speaking to people. And as I'm listening to their responses, I am praying desperately to the Lord. I don't know what to say. I don't know what advice to give. I'm terribly fearful of messing everything up and getting it wrong. And so I cry out to God under my breath to myself, Lord, guide me, help me to say the right thing. But the wonderful counselor always knows what to say. He never gets it wrong. His his advice is always perfect. You remember Peter, the apostle, when everybody else was getting up on Jesus, his words, his message was too difficult to bear, and the, the crowd of followers was thinning out, and Jesus said, well, are you going away as well? And in John 6, 68, 69, we read, Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. In our world today, the need for counselors is increasing and the availability is incredibly limited. Whether it's through the health service, whether it's through Christian counseling services, I hope you realize that the Presbyterian Church in Ireland has its own counseling service called Fresh Light. And if you know of anyone who has a need or would need help in this area, it is available. You can go privately to a professional counselor or to a Christian counselor, but Almost inevitably, in the current climate in the world today, the demands are great and the waiting lists are long. 
I remember when I was chaplain in Hollywell Hospital, uh, the, the consultant psychiatrist who, who headed up uh, the hospital was a Christian, and he, he would meet people who were being referred, and he would say to them, well, I can get you an appointment with a psychiatrist, but it'll be about a year, but the chaplain will come and see you next week. Uh, and so on a few occasions I did. I went to see people because it was going to be a year before they would see a professional. But not Jesus. Oh yes, we know all about waiting lists for our health service, but no waiting list for Jesus. He never keeps you waiting. He's always available to you. He is never wearied by your coming to him. It's never inconvenient. The wonderful counselor knows all your questions. He has all the answers. And he's always available to you. That's the introduction. Let's come to the text, which we'll look at very briefly. The, the, The passage that Shirley read for us from Isaiah 11. And here we see something of the the character and the qualities of this wonderful counselor. And and note firstly that it's marked by righteousness. His counsel is marked by righteousness. Because Jesus understands all things and understands them fully, he's able to judge rightly and justly with equity. We understand, we live in in what is now called a post-truth world. We are surrounded by fake news. We, we're really never quite sure what to believe. And, and as we prepare for this season of election, you hear politicians come on and they say this. And then almost immediately someone says, well, that's all wrong. And someone will point out uh, the lack of truth in their statements. We don't know what to believe. And we understand our judgments are, are so often in error. We, we judge by outward appearance. We, we take things at face value. But Jesus sees beyond into the hearts of men and women. And in in the midst of all this confusion and and misinformation, Jesus comes and he speaks truth to us. He lives and embodies truth before us. He does this because, as we read, the Spirit of God brings him wisdom and understanding, counsel and knowledge. You see, you can trust Jesus as he guides you. As you hear him speak through his word, you can believe it. You may not always understand it, but you know it's right. Remember how Abraham in that bartering for the souls of Sodom said to God, he said, Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just, do what is right? Genesis 18.25 Jesus, the wonderful counselor, does so in righteousness. And secondly, his counsel is marked by reparation. A big word, reparation. He judges justly. And he ensures that those who have sinned and strayed and who have engaged in evil are appropriately punished. Verse 4 says, With the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Not a particularly jolly Christmas message. But our hearts long for this. When there is injustice, 
When the guilty are not held to account. When people can commit crimes and sin with impunity. Our hearts break. The world is wrong. In his book on the imprecatory Psalms, that is the Psalms that include passages of of the cursing of God's enemies. It's a book entitled Crying for Justice. John Day writes, It is legitimate at times for God's present people to utter prayers of imprecation or pleas for divine vengeance, like those in the Psalms, against the recalcitrant enemies of God and his people. Such expression is consistent with the ethics of the Old Testament and finds corresponding echo in the New. We, we understand that the, the wicked must be held to account. We, we understand that if they are able to get away with it, whatever that might be, that this world is somehow out of kilter. But the coming of the wonderful counselor assures us that there will be reparation. Righteousness, reparation, and thirdly, this amazing reconciliation. Verse 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. It's a very clear picture of a very different world where old animosities are swept aside and new bonds are forged. Because when Jesus comes, the wonderful counselor, Jesus, reconciles. We sing over the Christmas period the words of the carol, O Holy Night. Truly, he has taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. The heart of this gospel message is that we can have reconciliation. We can have peace with God. Why? Because Jesus has brought us together. Perfect man and perfect God in what? Jesus is the wonderful counselor. A woman was trying to get her Christmas cards sent. She left things a bit late. She was in a bit of a rush. She saw a box of cards. They looked quite cheap. 50 cards. She got them, wrote the names on them, stuck them in envelopes and posted them away. Well, she posted 49 of them. She still had one left. After Christmas, she's tidying up. Just happened to notice the remaining cards sitting. She never really paused to look at the message inside. But she did before she tucked it away for the year. And she read with horror these words. This card is just to say... A little gift is on the way. (laughs) The promised gift did not arrive. 49 disappointed families were sitting waiting. When's it coming? I can't wait. What's it going to be? It didn't come. We have a wonderful counselor who does not disappoint us. When, When Jesus came into this world... He ensured there was reparation, that the the just punishment for sin was made, and it, it fell upon him. It came upon his perfect shoulders. This thoroughly fallen humanity's sin was poured out on Christ, and he bore our just punishment. He he died in our place that that we might experience peace with God, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. 
Truly, he is the, the wonderful counselor. You know, it's all very well that this great Christmas gift is given to us in Jesus. But as he comes to counsel and guide us, if we ignore his words, his will, his way, what hope is there for us? Gordon MacDonald must have felt deep frustration as he sat watching President Clinton bow to those who were his true guides, his speech rewritten. And how must God Our Savior be frustrated when he sees his word of truth given to us and we ignore it. We will not heed his counsel. We go his own way. Later on in the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah 48, God speaks, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit who leads you in the way you should go. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. He is the only one that can lead you in the way to go. He's the only one that can teach you what you ought to do. Are you listening to him? Are you obeying him? What a tragedy that so many people have rejected God's word. They have uh, rejected his love. They've gone their own way. But to resist the guidance of the wonderful counselor is to put yourself in great danger. So as we encounter Jesus in this Christmas season, God's gift to us, the wonderful counselor, may we hear his word, may we hunger for his word, may we walk according to his word. That we would know this, this this great river of peace. This great righteousness like the waves of the sea sweeping into our lives and into our world. His blessing upon us that we would be a blessing to those around us. To the glory of his name. Let's pray together. Father, as we come before you, we are thankful to you. That you have words for us. Ancient words still with truth for this and every day. You have counsel to guide us. If only we would listen. If only we would obey. Father, forgive us for those days of straying. Forgive us for the times when we have not attuned our ear to your word. Forgive us when we have thought we have known better and done our own thing in deliberate rejection of your will. Forgive us and strengthen us and guide us and lead us to live to your glory. For the honor of the name of Jesus Christ, the one through whom we pray. Amen.